0: Hey y'all, welcome back to the show Um, yeah, this is Lifestyle of a Gay Black Boy And I will be your host today I'll be Shinra Kusakabe That's who I'll be as your host today Figure it out, you can get into it Um, ooh I was going to say I'd buy you a drink, but with the way things are going with coronavirus and these different color levels, I don't know what's going to happen. You know what? These color levels, they confuse the shit out of me all the time. I don't understand why we determine danger by the color of a situation. Like I know there's like the national colors for like national catastrophes and shit. And now in New York state, we're here in orange we're at the orange level. Like, it's like, you're not red. You're not, uh, abrasively fucking up people's cornea with the color, but you know, you're at orange. It's like, okay, orange is like, you're, you're, be careful. Be real careful right now because you could easily turn over into that red. Um, it's interesting. So I won't be able to buy you a drink if you know who I am. You know what? Maybe I'll, uh, I'll mail you some gummy bears. If you are okay with me mailing you gummy bears, I'll do that for you. Haribo sour gummy bears. They are delicious. And I think everybody should have a bag, emergency supplies and things. But thank you for tuning into the show. I decided to take a little two-week break just to give my mind a break from the election. I was definitely going through election fatigue and political fatigue. And then on top of that, you know, just taking care of myself personally. Because this time of year, especially the holiday season, mental health is so important, y'all. Um, during the holiday season, that's where a lot of depression comes into play. Seasonal depression because we're not getting as much sunlight, we're not getting as much vitamin D, and I don't mean vitamin Dick. You know, I love me some vita Dick, but vitamin D, the actual vitamin that gives you energy, helps boost your immune system, and all these other things. Those levels are low, so it's like this time of year. Things can get sad, and even myself, just as somebody who battles depression, I found myself going through a little bit of a depressive state and had to just take a moment to reevaluate myself, speak with my therapist, get back into my journey of figuring out where I am, who I want to be, and what I want to be. So, I took a couple of weeks away. So, thank you for being patient. Thank you for your well wishes, people who are out there sending messages and all those things. I'm okay. I appreciate you more than you could ever, ever, ever know. Um, so let's go ahead and get today's show started. Uh, today's show, we're, we're going to talk about some things in the news, the media, catch up with some things that have just really been on my head lately. And y'all, I got to start us off on a bit of a sour note. Um, but t- one thing first. So first, I want to talk about David Dinkins. If you're not familiar with David Dinkins, he was New York City's first black mayor, and he died at 93. He uh, died. So David Norman Dinkins, um, he was the first and only to date black mayor of New York City. And he dedicated most of his public life while he was in office and out of office trying to improve race relations in New York City. Um, New York City is one of the country's largest cities. Um, It has one of the largest populations for a city in the United States. And believe it or not, even with all those people there sharing the same space, they could be just as racist as people that we see in the South the country bumpkin fuckers who are probably fingering their nephews and sleeping with their grandmothers. And the thing is, that person could be all the same person. Yep, you could have a nephew grandmother out there. You never know. Um, But so New York City has had a major race issue, a major race problem, especially if you think about the Central Park Five, um, five teens accused of rape and heinous assault against a woman. People were campaigning for their deaths to be sentenced to death, even though these kids were found to be innocent. And a lot of it boiled down to racial tensions, racial bias, and flat out racism. Um, so Dinkins was out here and he was fighting for equality and improved race relations, especially in New York City. So he died yesterday, uh, Monday, And he died at his residence in Manhattan on the Upper East Side. Um, The New York City Police Department told CNN that they received a call from Deacon's residence about an unconscious person having difficulty breathing. And then Mayor Bill de Blasio confirmed uh, Deacon's death to the New York Times. It's a uh, it, you know it's sad to see and sad to hear that he has died. Um, David Dinkins, I learned about him about four or five years ago, I want to say it was where I actually learned about him, um, and all that he did to work on New York City, and especially being the first black mayor of New York City it was it was a milestone, it was a milestone. Um, when he was in office, uh, he championed economic equality and education for people of color. Um, and that's talking about breaking down the wealth divide and the wealth gap that there is of white people and black people in this nation. He also went ahead to talk about education reform for people of color and even offered an alternative to the leadership of Ed Koch, who was in office at the time and was just stained. Ed Koch's office was just stained with race relation problems. Um, When David Dinkins got into office, high crime, a national reception, and several episodes of racial conflict largely defined a lot of his mayoral uh, presence in the early 90s. Under his leadership, uh, the New York Police Department underwent a major expansion um, that was credited with significant roles in driving down crime. Um, And this was before the 94 crime bill and all these things went into effect. David Dinkins actually championed policing, but in a way that was not meant to be racially biased towards Black people or people of color. It was actually meant to improve the policing system that we have um but in 93 he lost office to rudy juniali who went on a smear campaign and painted him as an ineffective leader unable to tame high crime and all this stuff and of course new york city at that point is becoming this place where rich white people want to move to so they're going to listen to somebody who's like hey I'm here to say that he's not tough on crime. I'm tough on crime and we'll make sure that this city that you want to live in is safe. And that really appealed to a lot of wealthy white voters. And that's what ended up having Dinkins lose his seat in office. Um, But throughout New York City's history, when Dinkins was in office, he was a member of what was called the Gang of Four, which was an informal group that included longtime Congress members, uh, Charles Rangel, the civil rights attorney Percy Sutton and Basil Patterson, and New York's first black secretary of state. He was part of a new wave of black leadership that came into prominence in 1960 and the 70s and greatly inc- increased Harlem's political influence in the city. Um, it was just, just learning about his leadership when he was in the office he battled major things but then he created so many good things and he was what i feel a mayor should be um when they're in office to be quite honest uh oh my gosh i don't even know why i'm getting a little emotional about it um Bre- uh, david dinkins he pledged to heal racial divisions. Um, And this is definitely racial divisions that were worsened during the end of Ed Koch's term as mayor, and when he came in, he had a lot of pickup to build off of. Um, When he was mayor, he wanted to make sure that his message was clear, concise, that it wasn't about Black people just coming up, but it was about equality, being given to everybody, which I just think is amazing. Um, but one of the things that I thought was the biggest and probably most important thing to me when he was in office, he expanded affordable housing to combat homelessness. And then he also pushed measures to tackle the HIV and AIDS crisis and took several steps to address how HIV and AIDS is approached treated and even financed through the government for people of color and specifically people in New York City because the HIV infection rate and death rate was so incredibly high when he got into office. So I just want to take a moment to just acknowledge David Dinkins and everything he did as mayor and being the first and only black mayor of New York City, which is amazing. Um, Oh, and actually, one of the things that I almost forgot to mention, David Dinkins did something that is uh, a national treasure to people. Uh, When he was in office, he pushed because he was a huge tennis fan He negotiated a 99-year lease with the United States Tennis Association that brought the U.S. Open to New York City. This boosted the economy and also has been held by many of his successors, including Michael Bloomberg, as the only good athletic sports stadium deal, not just in New York City, but the country. Um, Just one of those things I had to just mention that because tennis is a multi-million dollar sport. And David Dinkins helped secure that in a way that it wasn't secured for any American city before him. So I hope you rest in peace. I hope that now that you are finally getting the rest that you have so heartily worked for and well-deserved, that you just get to sit back and relax and just know that the world is in good hands you have left left a lasting impression on this world. I just think it's amazing. Um, The next thing I want to talk about, y'all know I'm a Jeopardy fan. Y'all know I love Jeopardy. So of course, a few people sent me stuff about Jeopardy. Um, You know, part of my little situation and me just taking some time away, Alex Trebek, the host of Jeopardy, died. He died. He uh, passed away. From his battle with pancreatic cancer and uh it was an emotional moment for me definitely because jeopardy has been a staple in my life uh it has been a staple in my life jeopardy has just been amazing to watch and see so just honestly to say i feel like i had a genuine connection with alex trebek even though i never met him in person doesn't seem too far off for me uh so Jeopardy! recently announced that they're going to have an interim host, and the interim host is going to be Ken Jennings. Um, if you're not familiar with Jeopardy! or Ken Jennings, Ken Jennings, uh, he holds the all-time record for the most consecutive wins in Jeopardy!, which is 74, um, and he has made the most money off of any Jeopardy! player, I think, since the game started. Um, he's going to be an interim replacement for the long-term host, Alex Trebek. Um, Alex Trebek had been hosting Jeopardy! for 30 years before that, and he started hosting in 1984. Um, The show right now is in its 37th season, and Jennings will start as the interim host in January 2021. The last episode of Jeopardy featuring Alex Trebek, just so you know, will air on Christmas this year, so December 25th. Now, I'm very happy that Ken Jennings is going to be the interim host. I like Ken Jennings a lot. Um, I think he's amazing, especially as a Jeopardy player. And then he's just got this little funny, nerdy quips to him that make him hilarious to watch. Uh, Those are probably one of the best moments and things that I like about Jeopardy! the most is the awkward, funny moments where you're like, you know what? He made a funny. I'm going to laugh at it. And it's all good. Uh, But in light of Alex Friedrich's passing, a petition was started. And this was about a week and a half ago. And this petition was for LeVar Burton to be the new permanent host of Jeopardy! I support this petition 100%. It has my signature on it. As soon as I saw it, I signed it because I would love to see LeVar Burton as the host of Jeopardy! I would just love to see it. I think it would be the most amazing moment in my life to see LeVar Burton Post Jeopardy. Now, this petition already has eighty three thousand signatures, and it's probably gone up way more since I looked at it and signed it. Um, and Lavar Burton actually reacted to it last week on Twitter and said, "Even if nothing comes from it, I can't tell how much I appreciate all y'all's love and support." And then he did the praying hands and the heart emoji. Um, he posted on his Twitter on Thursday, and. My gosh, I can't even tell you. So just listen to my voice. Listen to the sound of my voice. I sound nasally whiny. Um, I've heard from people that I talk white, being a black man who speaks the way I speak. And I've always been ashamed and very uh, self conscious about my voice and what people would think when they hear my voice. I mean, I grew up on a military base, going to schools on military bases. So I'm in this hyper hyper microcosm of toxic masculinity that's passed down to the children. And children have no filter, so they make it even worse. So imagine all that compiled with me trying to talk about things that are incredibly nerdy. And it was just a a clusterfuck of things. So when Jeopardy would come on TV and I would get the chance to watch Jeopardy, I felt like my nerdness had a place. I was nerdier than quantum physics going on a date with transmolecular biology. That's how nerdy I was. And you know what? I don't know if transmolecular biology is a real field of study, but even if it's not, I created it just now. So give me my coins when you start researching whatever that can consist of. Um, but Jeopardy! was my release. Because even in the most nerdy situations, the most nerdy environments, I felt normal. I didn't feel like a nerd. And even if I was in a space where nobody else was, and I'll use the term nerdy for myself, When I would watch Jeopardy and start answering questions and playing in front of them and tracking my scores of how much money I could have potentially won from the game that day, it was no longer them looking at me like, oh, you're such a fucking geek. You're such a damn nerd. It was like, oh, this is cool. I see why you like Jeopardy. So Jeopardy was my space to just be me. And then now to have the chance to see a black man host Jeopardy, and of all Black men, LeVar Burton from the fucking Reading Rainbow and Star Trek? Oh my gosh. Mind blown. Mind blown. LeVar Burton and Whoopi Goldberg, from them being on shows like Star Trek, let me know that Black people have a space in outer space. And then ever since then, I've loved outer space. I've loved learning about space and nerdy shit and just loving it. So this would just be like the ultimate of all ultimates to turn on my television and see LeVar Burton hosting Jeopardy. I appreciate it. I support all of it. Go to change.org. That is where the petition is. And you can sign the petition. It is still up and readily available for your signature, so go ahead, head on over there. You know, go ahead and do it. Um, I'll give you a good 30 seconds of silence. No, I'm not gonna be silent for 30 seconds, but you can do this while you're on the phone with me. Oh, on the phone, <laughs> while you're listening to the podcast on your phone, you can sign that petition. So go sign the petition. We need to have LeVar Burton as the host of Jeopardy! And I hate to talk about this so early because. Alex Trebek just died. We got to give him a moment. We got to give the family and people time to grieve. But I also don't want this opportunity to go by where they just all of a sudden name another host when we could have had LeVar Burton. That's all I'm going to say. I want him to host Jeopardy. It'd be amazing. Another thing that's going on. A few people sent this one to me as well. Um, The Undertaker has retired from the WWE. He has retired. Um, If you're not familiar with the WWE, it used to be called the WWF, which was the World Wrestling Federation. I just think it was a better title. But then it went to the WWE because the World Wildlife Foundation had a whole tizzy. They were like, you can't be named the same thing we are. So now it's the World Wrestling Entertainment Company. And The Undertaker has retired. After a thirty-year career in the WWE, The Undertaker officially announced his retirement at Survivor Series, which was this past Sunday, and he said it's time to let The Undertaker rest in peace. Um, the Undertaker has been a part of wrestling uh, before I even started wrestling, watching wrestling, um, and he's been amazing. The Undertaker, imagine a six foot, almost seven foot tall, biker looking man. He's white with long brown hair walking towards you with a death stare in his face. And he's going to pick you up by your neck and choke slam you onto the ground. It's kind of intimidating when I think about it. Uh, but The Undertaker, he was just amazing. I remember the days I would watch wrestling and when they had this whole theme of him being undead. He was this man who would take you to the underworld and he would appear with a strike of lightning, like lightning would flash across the stadium, which as a kid, I was like, whoa, lightning indoors. Now I know as an adult, it would not look any way the way it looked on wrestling when I was watching it. But it was just amazing to see this just dark, creepy, mysterious individual slowly walking towards the ring to choke slam somebody to hell or to beat the shit out of somebody just because he's the Undertaker. Or then that's when Kane, his brother, appeared and Kane was supposed to be coming back from hell to get the Undertaker and could shoot fireballs out of his hands while the Undertaker could make lightning strike out of nowhere. That's what I remember about wrestling, this just whole thing that was just amazing. Um, it's just always been a staple for me. So when I had a few people send this over to me in the email of The Undertaker's retiring, and of course, you know, I had to watch Survivor Series to see it. I had to see the last night The Undertaker would be wrestling because I didn't think it would happen at a Survivor Series. I thought he would retire at a WrestleMania, which is the biggest wrestling event of all of them that occurs for the WWE but it was still a great night to see. And I can't wait to see where he goes to next. I'm pretty sure he'll still be a part of the WWE universe, like their reality shows or possibly come back as a commentator or something. So I love to see it. And it's just one of those moments that is definitely a marker of my childhood coming to an end and adulthood truly beginning. I mean, I really don't want to be an adult. Let's just talk about that. Adulting is no fun at all. But The Undertaker retiring is now a moment where I'm like, yeah, Andrew, it's time to accept that your bones aren't just creaking and cracking because your body wants to make music. It's like, nah, bitch, you're getting a little old. So, But I'm excited about it. Um, so we're going to go ahead and take a little break here, make a little coinage, um, and then I will be back We're gonna hop into some other topics. Uh, Y'all really went ham on my email and sent me some good stuff, so I will be back. All right, y'all, I am back. Um, I have to keep fighting to say I'm back, like a crack. I don't know why that's in my head. So I know you probably hear these awkward pauses, like I'm back, and I'm like, "Mm," because I'm trying not to say it. (laughs) I don't know why it's so hard. Okay. So I want to talk about something that uh, was sent over to me, and this was sent over to me by a science blogger that I love to read their science blog, um, and it was on Tumblr. If you're not still on Tumblr, get back on Tumblr. Tumblr is amazing without all the porn in it. It's really, really good. It's what Twitter could be if Twitter wasn't Twitter. Um, yeah, that's how I'm going to put it. I, long story behind it. But back to the topic at hand, um, in Utah, a helicopter crew discovered a mysterious metal monolith deep in the desert. <clears throat> so a helicopter crew was on a wildlife assistance routine assignment um, when they happened to be flying over a rural area of Utah. Officers from the Utah Department of Police Safety Aero Bureau were flying a helicopter on Wednesday, last Wednesday helping the Division of Wildlife Resources count bighorn sheep in southeastern Utah. First, I just want to break that down. I think it would be so much fun to be on a helicopter counting sheep. Like, that is the ultimate amount of fun to me. I think it would just be fun. Um, While they were in the air and they were counting the sheep, one of the biologists spotted a huge chunk of metal is how it's kind of described. Um, And they were flying over the top of it and they decided to turn around and look at it more. Um, What they noticed was a metal monolith. If you're not familiar with the term monolith, I've used it before um, on the show. A monolith is a large art or installed object that's meant to stand alone and look like it is meant and it's handmade by man. Um, this silver metal monolith is how it's described is between 10 and 12 feet high. Um, and it looks like it's purposely put there. Now there's pictures of this thing online and it looks like a large, um, 3D rectangle. I don't know if that would be considered a cube. I think it's a cube, um, made of steel. And it honestly looks like it's growing out of the rocks from how it's positioned It looks like it's been pushed up from underneath the rocks. Um, There is no name. There's no marking on it. There's no identifiers to it. Um, The department has no idea who put it there. They don't know what it's about. Um, And people are intrigued by it. Now, the Utah Public Safety Department, I think is who it is, they did issue a statement about it. Um, talking about that it is illegal to install structures or art without authorization on public land, um, no matter what planet you're from, because some people have speculated that this is from outer space. Um, the location of the monolith specifically is not being disclosed by any official in Utah or any news outlet. And they're working and deciding to see if this needs to further investigation, um, if they want to know. Now, some people, like I say, have hinted to the fact that they feel it could be extraterrestrial. Um, some people have pointed to the 20, the movie, I think it's 21st Century Space Odyssey is what it's called. Uh, I'm sorry, 2001 A Space Odyssey. <clears throat> and some people pointed to that. Some people have pointed that this just doesn't look like it's, uh, it just doesn't look like it's from earth. Now, I don't believe it's an extraterrestrial or an agent or an alien in origin. Um, even though with my whole heart, I would love for it to be like this thing could be E.T.'s toothpick or it could be like a cosmic fleet or douche for like a, a galactic power bottom. Um, you know, galactic power bottoms need love too. And this, large metal object, maybe it's meant to douche them. Get it all clean. So when that galactic tot comes along, boom, you're all set to go. Um, <clears throat> It is very, very interesting to look at. I'll have to post a picture of it on my social, but you can also just research this yourself and look at it. Um, The one thing I will tell you is when I was researching into this, it is very easy to go down a rabbit hole of information and in and uh, disinformation, so be careful the sources you look at. I went to a lot of art journals and scientific journals, um, because honestly, part of me wants to go down the rabbit hole and see like, are there other mysterious monoliths or installations that have been put in very out of the way points on the world and the globe? And I want to know what they're about. You know, you never know. It could. This gives me. Uh, full metal alchemist vibes. If you're familiar with full metal alchemist, especially Brotherhood, there is a whole plan to take a country and use that country and all the people inside of it as a part of a sacrifice to create a philosopher's stone, which in alchemy is like the ultimate tool to use. <clears throat> I won't go down the rabbit hole of everything that goes along with that because it is long. If you have not seen full metal alchemist, or read the mangas. I suggest that you either read it, watch it, any way, shape, or form. Um, it is amazing. You know that I'm an anime junkie. If you're listening to this podcast, and if you have been a listener for a while, you know I can't get enough of the anime. And this kind of gives me that vibe. I mean, only one has been found, but what if there's a whole network that's connecting these things, and we're just waiting to activate the transmutation circle? What if that's what's going to happen? On oh my god, I didn't even get I, I didn't even get to celebrate it, y'all. I, I didn't celebrate it. That uh the orange let's say the orange ostrich is gonna be leaving the White House. Okay, we're gonna get to that in a little bit. We're gonna get to that in a little bit because I am actually very, very happy about that. Um uh, but it just makes me wonder could there be other monoliths or installations or art that's been installed around the world in these seemingly, again, out-of-the-way places where nobody can just walk up and see it easily? Are there more? Uh, the Georgia Guidestones, if you're familiar with those, that's one thing that I'm familiar with. Nobody knows, or at least the last time I researched into it, nobody knows who put them up. Nobody knows what they're about. They have some very cryptic, weird messaging on them. But this little monolith in Utah gives me the same energy and vibe as the Georgia Guidestones. So look into it. Check it out. Of course, I had to talk about it because it's weird news. It's weird news and I got to get into it. So the next thing that we're going to talk about, it's angry. It's frustrating because it just, it never ends, y'all. It never ends. But this is actually a more of a silver lining to this or a light at the end of the tunnel with what we've been facing. So a San Francisco officer is charged with on-duty homicide. Um, and this is the first time that this has happened in San Francisco. So in San Francisco, a officer is charged with homicide. Um, he was charged on Monday in connection with the 2017 on-duty shooting. Uh, San Francisco's district attorney office said in a news release to CNN that it believes this is the first time a city law enforcement officer has been charged with an on-duty homicide. So the officer, um, well, former officer from San Francisco, his name is Chris Samoya, I think is how you say his name, and I hope I'm not saying it wrong. Um, he's being charged with shooting. 42 year old Keita O'Neill, uh, who is a black man that was suspected of a carjacking California, uh, sorry, was ex- suspected of carjacking a California State Lottery minivan. <clears throat> Samoya has been charged with voluntary manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, assault with a semi automatic firearm, assault by police officer, and discharge of a firearm with gross negligence. Um, these are all very serious charges. Keita O'Neill, the black man who was shot, did not survive. He was killed. CNN has reached out to an attorney for Samoya, but they didn't hear anything back, so I don't have any statement from him or his team at this time, but I'm pretty sure something's going to be getting released soon. Um, In the environment that we're in now, especially with the passing of George Floyd, his murder, the murder of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and the li- names go on and on and on, y'all. <clears throat> um, this, is, this is a good step to see that actual charges are being brought forward against him. And they're, it's on-duty homicide. That's one of the most important parts of it. And the wording of this is it's an on-duty homicide, because a lot of times when we have these cases that go forward or prosecution occurs of officers killing people doing a shooting, it typically is seen as them being on duty is protecting them. <clears throat> this situation, the charges acknowledge he was on duty, but he's still wrong. He still murdered this man. Now... Uh, The officer Samoya, he shot through the passenger side window of his patrol car at Keita O'Neill, and that's when the death occurred. Um, They said that on December 1st, and this is coming from the district attorney's office, that Samoya and another officer followed O'Neill in the van he was in for a few blocks before it reached a dead end. Um, After they reached the dead end, they say that O'Neill jumped out of the vehicle and began to run on foot. Samoya, who was sitting in the passenger seat of the patrol car, shot through the side passenger window of the patrol car, according to the release from the district attorney's office. O'Neill did not have a weapon. And he was running away from the car. Um, Samoya, conveniently, did not turn on his body camera until after the shooting. So, it's... That right there, before I even get to the rest of the release, tells you that there's impropriety here, that there's some kind of wrongdoing. These cameras that these officers wear are always conveniently turned off or muted whenever something like this happens. But because of how the cameras work, as soon as the shot was fired, video on the uh, officer's camera started. It's an automatic buffering system that they have when a gunshot is fired that the system boots up. So we didn't see the things, well, I haven't seen the video, but I'm sure in the video you don't see the things that led up to the shooting. You just see the actual moment of the shooting, which still was enough to file these charges against Samoya as on-duty homicide, which again tells you a major thing here. He was already wrong. If the video starts when the shooting starts and you're still charged, you're wrong you're wrong. Now, he was fired from the police department in March of 2018. Um, and a judge signed a warrant for his arrest with a $1,000 bail. Um, and the former officer is expected to surrender on his warrant later this week. Um, oh my God, I just got tongue-tied for a minute, y'all. <clears throat> now, family members and advocates for Police officers, of course, are condemning the charges. Um, they're saying that this is wrong, that he shouldn't be charged, that he's on duty. Of course, we hear all these stupid, stupid things. Um, but I am actually very happy to see this that somebody's being held accountable for a dead person. No matter what O'Neill was doing, death should not have been what was issued to him in that moment. He wasn't threatening anybody he wasn't hurting anybody he wasn't trying to kill anybody he should not have been killed this officer uh, samoya played judge jury and executioner in that moment you shot this man while sitting in your car and he got out of his car to run away there's not much else to say about that you you murdered this man you murdered this man So to see these people who are like, oh, there's wrong. You can't be going after him. He's just doing his job. I want to see how those same people react to the police officer who shot a woman who came up to the car. He was sitting in and now he's in prison. Um, And if you're not familiar with this. I've got to look it up because. Oh, oh my gosh, what was it? And so a police officer, and i have to find the information about it. He is in prison now because a woman called for the police. It was a white woman. She called for the police because she heard a domestic situation happening either behind her house or on the side of her house near an alley. Um, and when she called the police she reported the incident so the police of course come out and when they get there they're both sitting in the car and as they're sitting in the car she runs up to the car and the officer shoots her now this was in Minneapolis this is where it was okay I have the information so I'm not just throwing things out Justine Demond, uh, almost like Diamond except with the I in the last name. So it's just D A M O N D. If you want to look it up, she is an Australian American woman and she was fatally shot by a 33 year old Minneapolis Police Department officer named Muhammad Noor. Um, and this was after she called 911 to report a possible assault of a woman in an alley behind her house. That's what ended up happening. Now, um when she ran up to the car and Officer Noor shot her, she was killed and when she was killed, of course, that generated calls for police uh reform overhaul, responsibility to be held, and everything Now, Noor had complaints filed against him after that um and in his time as being an officer, he had multiple complaints filed against him about assaulting a woman while he was on duty and more things that happened. Now, these things didn't come out until after this woman was shot and killed by him. And he is currently in prison for the shooting. Um, He was actually charged with, uh, I think he was charged with second degree murder. Don't quote me on the charges. I will look into it more so that way I can give you information. I'm just going off of my head and what I learned about the situation. But it's interesting. This is a situation where Mohammed Noor, the man who shot her, was an officer of color. And he was actually charged, prosecuted, and sent to prison. So I want to see what's going to happen in this case. Of course, it's two different states with different people involved. But now we have an officer who shot a black man and killed the black man while sitting in the passenger seat of the car. I want to see what's going to happen with this because we can see if an actual double standard will be upheld by the court system or if something will come from it and we'll actually see what happens. I mean, we have the situation right now of <clears throat> what we're finding out about Brianna Taylor's grand jury and her murder that Daniel Cameron, the attorney general decided to go ahead with the grand jury. Didn't even bring forward the thought to contemplate charges against the officers who murdered her. So to see that we've gotten to this point is a major step compared to what we just experienced with Breonna Taylor. But the next step is a conviction. Will we actually see a conviction occur? And once that conviction occurs, what will be the ripple effect from that conviction? Because if this officer is convicted of murder, well, manslaughter of what he's being charged with as an on-duty situation, now that sets the precedence that other officers can be prosecuted for on-duty murder and homicides. So we'll see what happens. I am excited to see. I am very angry that this had to turn out this way, that an innocent Black man had to die again. And I say he's innocent because no person deserves death without there being the proper prosecution and follow the steps of law that we hold in high regard in this country. So I am definitely excited to see this uh, play out. And I really hope that that officer gets thrown under the jail. Get rid of him. All right. So Two last things we're gonna get into. Um, the first thing I wanna get into is of course, y'all uh, coronavirus. <laughs> Did you think I was gonna start talking about uh the apricot abomination? Not just yet, not just yet. Um, so in Pennsylvania, they're planning to ban alcohol sales at bars and restaurants on Thanksgiving Eve, which is tomorrow. Um, to stop the spread of coronavirus. So in Pennsylvania, in an effort to really curb the spread, not really stop it because we're kind of on a uh, out of control rain, train here, like a train that is just about to wreck and everything with coronavirus, their governor, Tom Wolf and the Secretary of Health, Rachel Levine, announced a temporary suspension will go into effect 5 p.m. Friday I'm sorry, 5 p.m. Wednesday, and will remain in place until 8 a.m. Thursday, Thanksgiving morning. Um, and this will be the suspension of selling alcohol. Um, it turns out, which if you didn't know it, maybe you're just not a big person who goes out, but I've always known it. The Wednesday before Thanksgiving is the biggest night for people to go out drinking. Um, it is the night when you know, you're back in town if you moved out of town and you get to see all your friends because they came back in town to spend Thanksgiving with their family. Or maybe you're in a random town to spend Thanksgiving with family members and you're like, huh, before I have to sit and have dinner with these people tomorrow, I might as well go out and get blackout drunk and have a good ass time before I have to sit in the lion's pit of questions and things giving trivialities. So, Pennsylvania, in an effort to help qualm that, has decided that alcohol sales will stop at 5pm on Thanksgiving Eve, and they will resume 8am on Thanksgiving Day. Um, because the notice has been that coronavirus spreading events and spreading situations have occurred a lot when alcohol is involved because, you know, when you have alcohol in your system, you become far more uninhibited. I mean, just look at the parties and stuff you see posted on social media all over the places. Birthday parties, wedding parties, graduation parties, circuit parties, gay pride parties, straight people parties. You see people eating pussy on the poolside munching on some ass next to the speakers. like It's all over the place. So with that, limiting the alcohol consumption could possibly lead to people making smarter decisions, protecting themselves, protecting others. So Pennsylvania has decided to go through this. Um, now, I haven't heard of any other states going through this yet, but who knows? It could turn into more things because the talk that a pretty sure a lot of us have heard. If you are in tune with media, social media, all that stuff, people talked about limiting Thanksgiving interactions, the possibility of canceling Thanksgiving if you were able to, doing a remote Thanksgiving. So this kind of goes with the same things of the uh, Thanksgiving Eve night of going out. Now, my recommendation would be to anybody who enjoys the day before Thanksgiving going out and getting drunk, because I know I do. Um, to this year, try to do it remotely. Do it through Zoom, through one of your little uh apps, you know, uh house parties, one of them, which I've only seen people masturbating on house parties, so I don't know if that's what it's for. But there's like the Facebook groups and all that stuff. Do that, go buy a bottle before 5 p.m. on Wednesday if you're in Pennsylvania take it home and get blackout drunk sitting in front of your computer, on front of your camera, on your cell phone with your friends. It can still be fun. You can still have some fun times. Unfortunately, you don't get that face-to-face interaction to hang out with each other, but you can still have that great moment of getting blackout drunk and enjoy it. (laughs) Uh, But my last thing for y'all, this is a the highlight of my year so far. Uh, the alabaster asshole, the apricot abomination, the golden rod gremlin, the shingle colored shit stain. <laughs> I have so many names for them. Lost the election. Um, lost the election by quite a good margin. And on top of that, spent two weeks saying that he he won, um, that there was fraud and all these lawsuits and the lawsuits are getting thrown out one by one by one. Um, he's done, I think, two press conferences where he has spoken. And it's like looking at a kid who got The worst ass whooping of their life because their parents told them, don't you go in that refrigerator and eat those damn brownies. And then they went in the refrigerator and touched the brownies. And next thing you know, they're feeling the fire of 10,000 belt swipes on their ass. Oh, it's so beautiful to just see him look so defeated and so sad. Oh my God, I love it. It really gives me my bread and butter. I could just sop it up with a biscuit and eat it. And I know... The tears of unfathomable sadness that had to have come through that man's face. It had probably been the most tasty, orange, and fluorescent colored things in the world. Uh, I'm very happy about it. It's so nice to see. And actually, yesterday, last night, going into today, finally, the transition team started to help Joe Biden and Kamala Harris get the information and funding they need to start making the decisions that they're going to need to make come January 20th at 12 p.m. That's when that bitch is gone and these new people come in and do their thing. Um, While I am not happy about politics in general in our country, and honestly, this was an election where you chose between projectile vomit and And projectile diarrhea that's really what this was um we're not really winning if you want it to be said flat out for you if you are a white cisgendered person in this country you would have been fine either way with trump or biden in office and i don't say that as if you just support them or you're happy that one of them is in office their policies procedures and changes that are going to take effect in this country would not negatively affect you in any way, shape, or form, no matter what side of the tracks you are on. But for people who are not cisgendered, for people who are not uh, heterosexual, for people who are not white, the policies, procedures, and actions that will come into place would affect us astronomically compared to anybody else. And that's with Biden or Trump. The person honestly didn't matter when it came to how the rest of us will be treated in this country. I do hope that there will be things that are going to change. I hope that we'll see effective change for the black community. I hope that we'll see effective change for people of color, immigrants, and people who belong to the queer community or LGBTQ plus community, however you decide to define that. I do hope that there will be those things, but my hopes are very small and limited. Um, I'm just happy that we won't be able to see that fucking abomination talk anymore or represent this country as a president. I do hope that there will be more that occurs, especially for Black people and people of color. Um, Seeing some of the pics that Biden is chosen or potentially will choose for cabinet seats does seem promising, um, but it does not seem like this is going to get us to where I hope that we will be. Now, I do hope that after Biden serves his one term, Kamala will run for president again. Maybe she'll get it or somebody else. Ah, Because as happy as I am to see that goldenrod gremlin will no longer be perched in the White House, I know we're not going to have much of a change or effective change with Biden in place either. Because Biden, a lot of what he spoke about and a lot about what he still speaks about, he just wants to go back to the America where racism wasn't really talked about, where racism and systematic racism and issues with race were known but nobody was really addressing them. Nobody was really talking about them. The media wasn't taking on these issues and looking at them. He wants to go back to the America that he knew and grew up with, as opposed to the America that we're in and needs to change. So that is why I am not jumping for joy that Biden is in office. I'm not going to be like, oh yeah, he's the best president ever. I know you can't make everybody happy, but I'm just going to sit back and wait and see. What occurs and what happens? Um, we'll see. It's going to be very, very interesting the next four years. So who knows? Maybe we might get something fun happen. Like aliens will come down and invade us, or something. Maybe we'll get something fun. The everlap, everlasting Gobstopper. Maybe it'll actually be made. The candy that never goes away. I'm here for it. I don't think I would eat it because I feel like that's really gross. Um, to be sucking on the same piece of candy for years down the line, but maybe we could get some relief in one sh- way, shape, or form. But y'all, that's all I got for you today. Um, Thank you for sticking with me, sticking by me. Without y'all, this podcast is not possible, so I appreciate it. Uh, I will be back next week after my mini vacation. I'm ready to go, y'all. I'm ready to tackle whatever this world is going to throw at us in this next Seven days. (laughs) So thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, please rate me on whatever podcast app you're listening on. Give me five stars. Give me a review. You make me more visible and I appreciate it so much. And if you want to interact and reach out with me for the show, feel free to do so on all of the social medias at Lifestyle of a Gay Black Boy or Lifestyle GBB or feel free to email me at Lifestyle gbb at gmail.com. That's lifestyle, G is in gay, B is in black, B is in boy at gmail.com. I'll be sure to read your emails and go through them all. And in honor of me being gone for two weeks, I'll give you 14 curse words before I stop reading that shit. So be creative. Curse me out or curse out somebody you want me to curse out. I'm here for it. I'm here for all of it. I hope y'all have a great rest of your week. Stay safe and have a happy Thanksgiving, and I'll talk to you in seven days.